Hi listeners, I'm coming to you live today from the North American Victorian Studies Association Conference in Banff, Alberta. And I've got a few people who would like to talk to you and share their projects or favorite 19th century writers and talk a little bit about the, the wider world of 19th century research. This is Victorian Scribblers, an informal exploration of the lives of lesser-known Victorian writers. And I'm Courtney Floyd, a doctoral candidate in literature and print culture at the University of Oregon. I'd like to start by just asking everyone to introduce themselves. I'm Allison Headley. I am uh, based out of the English department at Ryerson University in Toronto, which is in Canada. Um, (laughs) FYI. I recently completed a PhD at Ryerson's, in Ryerson's communication and culture program. um, And I specialize in late 19th century print media history. Uh, illustrated periodicals are really my jam, and my postdoctoral work is taking me into the world of data visualization. But I also work on a project through Ryerson Center for Digital Humanities called the Yellow 90s Personography. Uh, my name is Tom Stewart. I am a doctoral candidate at the University of Western Ontario, which is similarly in Canada. Um, I am currently working on, my dissertation focuses on uh, gothic affects in detective fiction, um, spanning from uh, the 1880s into the 1930s. So I'm kind of moving out of the Victorian period, but really dealing with the leftover anxieties from the end of the Victorian period. I focus on both American and British fiction. Um, and in my other life, I also run a podcast, Liminalia Cast, which is about horror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so fun fact actually most of my listeners are canadian at this point so we don't need to tell them no. <laughs> in canada I just never know. <laughs> or or funny it's comic right yeah. hi i'm miranda butler i am a phd candidate at the university of california riverside Um, I study a field called literature and science, and the field of science that I'm interested in is the history of evolutionary theory, Um, but I also study that in relationship to media technologies, Um, so the way that people write and record information, and basically how those technologies and ways of learning things and writing things down can affect the scientific ideas that people have. Before you tell us about your favorite Victorian slash 19th century writers, um, would any of you, sorry I'm springing this on you, if you don't want to answer, I will just edit this out. Um, it just occurred to me that maybe this would be a good question. Um, would any of you like to speak about why you think it's important to study this era today? So, you know, the, um, the no pressure immense importance <laughs> question. I mean, I have... Uh, 
answer that the academics will all laugh at, but that it <laughs> my audience is like mixed, so okay. Some of them will agree. So for the professors or advisors who listen to this and roll their eyes at me, um, I think there's something about the Victorian that really resonates with us because some of those questions and concerns and issues and ideas are still happening and they're just happening in new ways. So if you look at the social relationships in the Victorian period, um, mass production of photography and exchanging of your image um, operated in a very similar way to social media and social networking, just with a different technology. Um, Or if you look at like various crises in biological sciences or medical sciences, um, there's a huge anti-vaccination movement in the Victorian period. And look at what we're dealing with now. Like there's some things about our 21st century society that always just like as a Victorian scholar strike me as shockingly Victorian um, and extremely relevantly Victorian. So it it gives us insight into ourselves, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if other people want to. Along some of the same, in the same vein, uh, a lot of, a lot of cultural practices now, including, and sometimes especially digital ones, have uh, their lineage, trace their lineage through the 19th century or have origins in the 19th century. Um, So some of the work that I do is on the history of digital data visualization practices and um, some very specific ways in which those practices have Victorian origins that come out of um, vital statistics and demography and um, the, the golden age of uh, data visualization, as Michael Friendly puts it, um, in the late 19th century. That really, all of that has an influence on the ways that we visualize cultural information now. And so that means that Victorian politics, assumptions, ideologies that shaped data visualization and statistical practices um, in the 19th century resonate in contemporary ones. I don't know if I have much to add. Um, Yeah, I, I think that perhaps one like final note to add because I really don't have much more um, is simply that um, because I do come from kind of more of a gothic horror standpoint that a lot of this stuff that we are perhaps a little bit too polite to talk about um, the anxieties that have gone um, shall we say under the bed um, were much more present much more openly talked about um, discomfort towards one's sexuality um, uh, as goodly amount of racism, these sorts of things are much more approachable and much more able to be talked about when you're dealing with 19th century texts simply because um, they're right there on the surface. There's no dog whistling that's going on um, quite so much as there is in the uh, stuff that you find in perhaps Lovecraft, shall we say. Well, Lovecraft, most of it is not dog whistling either, but um, the stuff that grows out of um, 20th century uh gothic, uh, weird horror ends up repressing a a lot of the social anxieties that are much more present in the Victorian period. 
those are all very compelling reasons why we should still study the Victorians and um, their culture today. And uh, I'm especially impressed because they're all off the cuff. So let's turn to an easier question. Um, we'd be remiss not to talk about lesser known Victorian writers on a podcast about lesser known Victorian writers. Who should my listeners be reading and why? Yeah, so I'll talk about my recommendation for people interested in the Victorian period and 19th century authors more broadly, um, because Edgar Allan Poe, who many of us know, is an American writer, um, but he's writing in this tradition, and he's writing very well-known, very, I mean, exciting, awesome, gruesome stories. Um, But if you like Edgar Allan Poe and want to branch out in the 19th century, there's a great writer named Horatio Kuroga, that's H-O-R-A-C-I-O, Q-U-I-R-O-G-A, um, and he's uh, Uruguayan, Argentinian, um, Latin American science fiction writer. Uh, slash, hold on, I need to rephrase that. Not, I think he's a science fiction writer because I study science fiction. But uh, just in terms of general understanding, he's a gothic horror writer. Um, and so he writes in Spanish. You can read his work in English translation. Um, and it's very creepy. It's very exciting. A lot of his stories are only a few pages long. Um, and he's able to accomplish so much and so much creep factor in such a short time. So that's my lesser known 19th century recommendation for people. Thank you. I cannot wait to read some of this work. <laughs> um, yeah. um, I'm going to follow that up with another horror writer, actually. Um, one who I think I'll, those people who have heard of him are going to roll their eyes because I think in some circles he is really well known. Um, but Algernon Blackwood. Um, particularly if you want a really good story by him to start off with, The Willows. Um, he was an author who uh, focuses on um, what we could talk about as kind of the earliest forms of the weird um, and weird fiction. He's very focused on nature, how nature can be imagined as uh, animate, as horrifying, and as unfriendly to human encounter. Um, and The Willows is a perfect example of that. So that would be my recommendation. Really phenomenal 19th century author. Yeah, thank you. Isn't he um, also an immediate predecessor of Lovecraft, or sort of like contemporary? He was, also? yeah, he was. Um, Lovecraft uh, loved his work, and Algernon Blackwood hated Lovecraft. So, yeah, um, immediate predecessor. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, since we're on the topic of horror writers, I just want to pitch one that's slightly outside of the Victorian period. Some of his work is actually Victorian, but um, M.R. James, another mm-hmm. real classic, who I will likely cover at some point. Um, someone whose work I would recommend is Evelyn Sharp, who published in the late 19th century, early 20th century. Um, she was a feminist and otherwise a political activist, and um, she she's better remembered now for her children's stories, but um, wrote a lot of really wonderfully um, dry, funny, smart, short stories um, in the genre of new woman fiction, sort of cultural commentary on gender roles and um, high society life in Britain in the 1890s and that kind of thing um, that appear in uh, the ones that I'm most familiar with were published in the the magazine The Yellow Book, which was an avant-garde periodical published between 1895 and 1898, I believe. 
um, that included short stories by lots of different folks, but um, a number of new woman authors, including Evelyn Sharp. Thank you. And I'm hoping in the near future to do an entire season on new women writers. And um, so that will be an excellent starting place. That um, sounds delightful, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many of them also wrote children's fiction, which I think is fascinating. Like That um, can't be a coincidence. Like Inesbitt. Yeah, Inesbitt. L.T. Mead, I would classify oh. as a new woman writer, although sometimes her work is more like in the Mary Elizabeth Braddon vein of it starts to get progressive and then sort of pulls back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you guys know, I think the last name is Green, but she's a female detective fiction author. Anna Catherine oh, Green. Yes. 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 I she wrote a chapter of my master's thesis on her. Oh, really? And um, oh, yeah. what is it called? Um, the subtitle is something about Violet Strange. Um, I will put this oh, in the show yes. notes, but it's a fascinating novel. Also, she's considered the mother of detective fiction in the States. So... Mm-hmm. well worth the read yeah um so allison would you like to tell us about um the i forget what it's called because That's we're okay in, yes. i <laughs> wouldn't it's it's a bit of an unwieldy term but an important and intentional one um so uh, i mentioned the yellow book i work on uh, a project called the yellow 90s personography this is a project that's a, a branch of a bigger um, online resource called the Yellow 90s Online, um, which curates uh, the Yellow Book and a number of other avant-garde periodicals from uh, the 1890s. It got started with the Yellow Book um, and has includes um, digital versions of the magazines, um, so images and XML files um, accompanying scholarly introductions, biographies, and soon, hopefully in 2018, um, this publicly viewable and open access database that includes um, biographical information about all of the contributors to the Yellow 90s and these other magazines. Um, And that's the personography. So um, it is only 351 people right now, artists, editors, writers, um, who contributed to the Yellow Book, uh, the Evergreen, the Savoy, and the Pagan Review. Um, and in doing this work for the, the personography, I've got to learn so many interesting facts, learn all these um, idiosyncratic details about all of the people who formed this literary and artistic community that was um, based in London, but also had international reach. All of these folks, including Evelyn Sharp, had um, interesting and complicated relationships with one another and uh, love affairs and fallings out and all kinds of stuff. Uh, for example, Evelyn Sharp was friends with um, another contributor to the Yellow Book, uh, Henry Wood Nevinson and his wife, whose name escapes me right now. Um, but they were part of the same activist scene, um, part of the same literary circles, And actually, years later, um, Evelyn Sharp would marry Henry Wood Nevinson, um, I believe after his wife passed away. Um, But there are a lot of relationships like that in in this personography. E. Nesbitt and her husband, um, for a time, lived with his mistress with whom there were children. So there were like two sets of children in this 
wow. complicated mega family that was not <laughs> a very ideal situation. Um, based on historical evidence, it didn't, yeah, it didn't really go well. Um, a couple of other contributors to the magazine, um, Rosamond Marriott Watson and Henry Brereton Watson, um, are were, were married in their own eyes and in the way that they presented themselves socially, but um, were technically not legally married and, in fact, were married to other people, which was sort of a scandal at the time. Wow. And once they um, decided to, uh, to, to become, to, to live as married, they... Well, let's say they got ostracized uh, from a lot of circles. Um, another, one of the most interesting figures in our personography, um, and one of the most challenging people to classify, is William Sharp, who was an author of fiction and poetry um, and a journalist. He also wrote as, trying to figure out the best, the best way to describe it. So um, William Sharp is also the author and poet Fiona MacLeod, but she isn't just a pseudonym. She had her own literary status, presence, relationships. She had correspondence with W.B. Yeats. Wow. Um, William Sharp had a um, a document drawn up so that he could be her uh, her legal representative. He presented her as a distant cousin whom nobody ever met, um, and it didn't come out until he had passed away. His wife. I believe in writing a biography of him, although this could be wrong. And I feel like if you had a fact checker for your podcast, that I get into all kinds of trouble. But anyway, his wife Elizabeth did um, uh, did acknowledge publicly that Fiona McLeod was in fact William Sharp, um, but she's kind of an, an avatar for him, or he has this uh, fluidity of identity in being two people in the magazines and in literary culture even though physically he was one person that is amazing thank yeah. you for sharing that story um yeah so we will alert listeners when this project becomes public and i'm assuming draw on it many many times in our in our research going forward um it sounds like a, an amazing resource thank you so in the meantime um the yellow 90s online is um open access it's out there it's at uh, 1890s.ca so 1890s.ca <laughs> and the link to that will also be in the show notes to this um, yeah so thank you everyone for uh, coming to join me in this special bonus content and um, I will talk to you listeners later bye after the ball done by Mr. John J.
If you liked what you heard today and want to hear more, head on over to the Victorian Scribblers Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Victorian Scribblers. That's www.patreon.com slash Victorian Scribblers. There you can find all the latest updates about the podcast, most recent episodes, exclusive content, and links to all of the social media pages. You can also drop me a line at Victorian Scribblers at Outlook.com. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Music for this podcast, courtesy of MuseOpen, www.museopen.org.